look, there's really no other way for me to say it. You're missing out. If you're not playing this, you're missing out. It's the free contests on the NBC Sports Predictor app. They've already handed out over $3 million in cash prizes, and there are tens of thousands more up for grabs this and every week. So get in on the action right now with the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet. For the biggest names in sports talk, watch the NBC Sports Channel every weekday on Peacock. Featuring pro football talk, the Dan Patrick Show, the Ritz Eisen Show, and more. Streaming live for free on PeacockTV.com slash NBC Sports. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. You know, I know it's the end of July, but this is an action-packed, massive stuff happening. I mean, it's July 28th as I record this, Tuesday night. And, I mean, it just never ends. It just doesn't end. But this week on the podcast, we're going to get to two of many things going on around the National Football League. I will be with John Schneider, the general manager of the Seattle Seahawks. He made that blockbuster trade, uh, dealing two first-round picks to the New York Jets for Jamal Adams in return. Win-win, I think a little bit more of a win for the Seattle Seahawks. And then we will talk about the strange, strange days of the New England Patriots with Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston, as you know, or as you have heard, the New England Patriots have had six players, a league high, six players opt out for COVID-related reasons of their contracts through 2020. They're already without Tom Brady, and now no Dante Hightower, no Patrick Chung, no Marcus Cannon. So we will weigh in, and it might not be over in Foxborough, by the way. We'll have Tom Curran uh, tell us the whole story about what exactly is going on uh, in New England. But I'm going to start off by saying something that I, I had a conversation over the weekend with John Mara, the co-owner of the New York Giants. And John, I've known John Mara since I covered the Giants in 1985 for Newsday, a paper in New York. And, you know, I knew his dad, Wellington Mara, the, uh, you know, the godfather of the organization and, and uh, you know, really a good human being. But anyway, so John Mara reminded me that last May that I had written, and it, <laughs> I felt happy about it. Hey, somebody reads me. But John Mara reminded me of, you know, Peter, you said that this is going to be an imperfect year. And people need to get used to some injustice. And this was after John Mara basically told the owners in a conference call last Friday, listen, guys, we have to get used to football being very imperfect this year. And I'm just reminded of that today. You know, in I didn't work a lot today. It's Tuesday. But in my a few calls around the league. I was talking to one uh, public relations director of a team and, and he said, man, you got a lot to write about. And I said, every, every week, even in March, 
uh, or even in April and, and, and May after the draft and early June, I, I said, I'm writing 10 or 12,000 words a week and there's six or 8,000 more that I could be writing about. And it's just mindful of the fact that what's going to happen this year, no one knows. You see what happens with the Florida Marlins. And, you know, the Marlins have whatever, 17 players and staff having tested positive. And then there's no more positive tests like in baseball and hockey. It's almost pristine beyond that. So it leads you to believe two things. If you don't keep your house in order, you really could mess this thing up, this return to football, this attempt to return to football by the NFL. So you, you could really mess this up. However, you also, things could go okay, even when you're not in a bubble. You know, the NBA has done very well, obviously, being in a bubble uh, down in Orlando, and it looks like they're going to get their season off and, and they'll be able to play. But with the NFL, I think I'm, I'm reminded of a couple of things. I've written about this a couple of times now. I had a long talk with Andrew Whitworth. Uh, the tackle of the of the Rams, who uh, in June, nine family members, including him, got COVID. And it all came from a family member simply going out to lunch at an outdoor restaurant in California. And this person transmitting the disease to everybody in his family, including his mother and father-in-law. So I think that basically tells you that this year is going to be a year of living on the edge in the National Football League. And I'm just going to give you two different little pieces of advice about this year. Here's number one. Don't sweat the small stuff. I was on a talk show with Chris Russo, the mad dog. Some of you may know him. But I was on a talk show with him recently, and he is screaming about how unfair it would be if the Philadelphia Eagles have 20,000 fans in the stands and the New York Giants have none. And I said, Chris, I, I, I guess that matters. But, you know, Chris's point was, if all teams can't have fans, then no teams can have fans. I said, well, the league's already going to be losing probably about $4 billion. So to take more money out of the owner's pockets, I'm not sure they're going to be big fans of that. But, but be that as, a way, as it may, in my opinion, that is the small stuff. You know, if one team can have some fans and another team can't, who cares? And I'll also tell you, don't sweat the big stuff either. And by big stuff, I mean, if it happens at some point this year that one team gets a big outbreak of COVID, and they, it's determined that they can't play for maybe four or five weeks. And again, I, I doubt this will happen, but who knows? Now, that's the big stuff. But if Roger Goodell rules that, okay, Team X is only going to play 12 games this year, and all the teams they were going to play in that time, those teams are only going to play 15. And I'm not saying that'll happen. I'm not. But all I'm saying is that's a big deal. 
But in the real grand scheme of things, if the NFL play has teams not all play 16 games, and if for the first time since 1935, every team doesn't play the same number of games, that's kind of a big deal. But don't sweat it. It isn't a big enough deal to go screaming about. This is going to be an unusual year. Get used to a lot of unusual things. And don't sweat either the small or the big stuff. Now, on to my guest, John Schneider. I talked to him from his deck in Seattle, where he was on Tuesday afternoon. We talked about a lot of things, but most specifically, the trade of Jamal Adams from the New York Jets to the Seahawks. Happy to be joined this week on the podcast. Very topical guest, Seahawks general manager John Schneider, uh, joining me from uh, the beautiful Pacific Northwest. And John, no matter how screwed up this country gets, it's still beautiful up in, in, this, in the state of Washington. So welcome to uh, the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Peter. Pretty exciting yeah. day. You know, they get, the players are showing up today to do all their COVID testing and here we go. Let's get going. So, John, I'll ask you an open-ended question first. How do you feel about this? Do you think this really can work? You know, you're seeing what's happening in baseball now, and they're hitting quite a few early speed bumps. How do you, how do you look at the possibility that the NFL can play a full season? I just think we're a league that's always had a ton of adversity and, and we have great leadership all the way around. And I think we'll be able to work, work through it, you know, both sides. I think it basically looked like there was two CBAs that were just negotiated right over the last several months. And, uh, you know, both sides, uh, I know for a fact, you know, the league and the union, you know, they work their tails off to get us in a spot where we can uh, get ready to go and all the medical people doing whatever they possibly can to, to help us all out and help us to lead all of our individual organizations. So, yeah, I've, I have a ton of hope. I'm sure we're going to hit a, a, a ton of uh, issues as we go. But like I said, I think we're a league that's very strong with uh, leadership and overcoming adversity. Um, what is it like around your building? Do you feel when you walk into your building now in Renton, Washington, do you feel safe? Do you feel like it's uh, there's a lot of anti-COVID insurance in there? Yeah, absolutely. Sam Ramsden and, and uh, Matt Thomas and, and our whole staff, Dr. Dresner, uh, working with the league office and Dr. Sills and, and, and everybody that's been working on this. For, I mean, you got to remember now, Peter, these people have been working on this stuff and we were getting ready to have the drafts at our house. I mean, it's been it feels like it's been a long time. These people were, were, were doing a great job getting us all set. So, yeah, you know, there's 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 excitement for people to be back to work, but yet, you know, we have to create that distance and, and, and the spacing and be respectful of everybody so we can, we can do the best possible job we can as we proceed here. As we record this on Tuesday afternoon, uh, you have had one opt-out, Guard Chance Warmack. Uh, you haven't had any of, you know, like the Patriots have had a, a, a bevy of players, but do you expect there to be many more opt-outs either in Seattle or around the league? I'm not sure. I, I think when you look at, you know, every every individual, every, you know, every family is going to be different. Right. So, you know, every everybody's at a different point in their career. Um, there certain players are going to feel 
a, a specific way about their organization and how their organization's prepared for this. So I can only speak for the Seahawks and knowing that, you know, uh, Chance had a, you know, situation uh, that was very personal that we totally respect. And, and uh, I can't speak on behalf of the Patriots or anybody else, but I just know the Seattle Seahawks and our staff have done a phenomenal job getting us ready to go. And, you know, we'll be ready if other people decide to opt out and we won't hold any op- any you know, animosity towards anybody that, that, that wants to hold out. We'll, we'll respect their opinions and we'll be ready in terms of having an emergency list uh, of players ready to keep competing every week. You think players are worried about a stigma associated with opting out, uh, either, you know, that they're leaving their team uh, you, you know, they're, they're basically, uh, doing something anti-team or that, uh, do you feel like these guys are making decisions whether to play or not play purely on a personal level, having nothing to do with the team? That's a great question. I, I think, you know, during the summer, through all these negotiations and everything, I don't think that, you know, the, the football fans across the country probably don't understand how many uh, calls, you know, the union's been on with their players and the league and the union and going back and forth. So I think there's been enough discussion where, you know, players are going to respect each other's feelings about opting out or, or going for it and playing and, and you know, trying to try to trying to respect each other with all the rules that we have set in place now with, with uh, you know, all this, all this, all these COVID protocols, because I just think it's a, Obviously, we need to do the best job we possibly can, and and you know learn from Major League Baseball and and the NHL and and um, you know the NBA. You know we're I've been in contact with the M- NBA teams, NHL teams. We have other people that have you know uh, Major League Baseball contacts. So we're doing whatever we can to take the correct precautions, and I don't think players are going to have any animosity towards each other. Uh, let's talk a little bit about football. I think you're, uh, and let's you, talk sort of, you sort of shocked the world, even though clearly you'd been, you'd been looking at Jamal Adams and considering him for a while. It's funny. There were two teams last year around the trading deadline who that, uh, one of which I thought was very close, you know, at, three o'clock Eastern time on the afternoon of the trade deadline, you know, the general manager of this team was waiting by his phone because he thought Joe Douglas might call him and say, Hey, we got a deal. So clearly this has been, this hasn't been just happening. People have been going after Jamal Adams for a while. When would you say you first either expressed interest in him or sort of started feeling out Joe Douglas, the GM of the jets, about whether it was even possible that he'd move Jamal. Well, Joe and I have a really good, real good relationship. We go back several years scouting, being on the road. He was, uh, he was actually at, we were actually at Boise State the, the same day that uh, Camp Chancellor uh, returned to camp after his holdout. So it was a pretty exciting time, and we had talked a lot about a number of different things, and and so. At that, you know, on that day, because that was such a that, that was such a big day for the Seahawks, and and so uh, you know, going through what he was going through, we had talked uh, obviously before the draft. Uh, we traded with them, you know, on um, on draft weekend, and had a couple of different things lined up with them, and then you know, got into the situation with Jamal, and 
uh, our staff, Willie and, and Nolan and Trent and Scott, our guys do a really good job of, of uh, what we preach about, just trying to stay in uh, every deal and try to be connected and see what the landscape looks like throughout the National Football League. And so, you know, I, I think it was just a matter of, of uh, staying in touch with those guys and, and uh, keeping their relationships going, uh, being open and candid with their conversations. And uh, probably about, I'd, I'd have to say probably about, maybe two months ago, maybe a month and a half ago is when, you know, Joe and I started really um, getting serious about it. At what point did you mentally determine that you'd be willing to give a second first round pick for him? Well, I think it's always going through your mind, you know, because the, the way, the way we view it is just, and, and I hope this comes across the right way, but historically we've been, you know, been picking in the late twenties and credit to our, you know, our whole football operations staff and coach Carroll and, and all his guys and the way they develop people. And, and um, obviously our quarterback and Bobby and KJ and all the veterans that have done such a good job over, you know, over the years here. But, you know, when you're picking um, in the, in the, in the late twenties, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, it's a different challenge. And uh, uh, we've, we just viewed it as an opportunity to say, if we were picking 27 to move up to number 26, what does that look like to us, you know, on draft weekend? And quite honestly, we felt like it, 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 it was, you know, it was appropriate for us that that would be the right, uh, that would be the right compensation. Now that can be debated, right? I mean, it's fun. It's entertainment for everybody. I get it. Uh, you know, but it's, uh, you know, when you're in that arena with somebody and you're having those negotiations and you're trying to figure out what your, you know, what your future is going to look like. And, um, uh, you know, what your uh, windows of opportunity look like, you know, we just felt like we should go for it. And you can't sit here and preach that you're going to be a consistent uh, championship caliber football team and uh, and not be in something like this and, and, and go for it. One of the things I liked about the trade and, you know, look, if you look at your history, you know, and one of the things that I like about this generation of general managers, I started covering the league. And, you know, the only guy who was really like you and like, let's say, Ballard, Chris Ballard and, and Dimitrov and, and a lot of the younger guys, Brett Veach, it, it was Bobby Beathard. You know, and I'm not saying that other general managers were scared. That's not the right word. But it was such a conservative time in the 80s and 90s for trades like this. And now it isn't anymore. And my belief is that it makes the game more fun. And quite honestly, it's more realistic. Here's the way I look at this trade. And I just want to hear your, your thought. First of all, your average draft position in the last five years before trade is 23.4. So basically, you know, the bottom third of the first round. And in the last five or six years, if you look at even after you wheel and deal and make trades, if you look at who you've come up with, you've drafted five players in the top 45 since 2014. I wrote this the other day. Paul Richardson, Jermaine Effetti, Malik McDowell, Rashad Penny, and LJ Collier, uh, not including this year. And, and look, whatever you think of any of those players – and we don't really know about L.J. Collier yet, okay? But whatever you think of any of those players, none of them really has the potential impact on your team 
for the next three or four years of Jamal Adams. And so I just look at it and I say, you know, you'll figure out if you really need a draft choice in the next year or two, I just think you'll figure out a way to get it. Give me your thought on what I think about you. No, I, I think that's fair. I think that you you also have experienced a gap in, I don't want to say generations, but now there, you know, there, when you're, when you're dealing with other general managers, you have guys that are, uh, similar in age and, 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 and closer in experience. There was a pretty big gap there for a while where, you know, there were guys that were, you know, 15, 20, you know, 25 years older than me that you didn't have that same type of relationship with, or, yeah. you know, uh, so I think there, this group is, is, is much more, um, is, is easier to deal with. I don't think there's a lot of people that are, that are out there trying to just take completely try to take advantage of people and, and uh, I'm not saying that happened in the past, but I mean, I'm sure that there there were certain uh, people that thought that you know they could they could do a better job than others, and that's that's fair. That's the, you know that would be their prerogative and their confidence in their staff and how they approach acquisition. You know, with us, when when you, when you look at our guys, you know, when we moved back and took Malik McDowell, we thought that you know we thought that was a great great move, and and you know. I, I talk about this and you and I have talked about this after every draft, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like you're done. You get done talking to a, a group of surgeons that have come out of a operation where you, you never, nobody really comes out of there going, you yeah, know, that was just okay. Like that commercial, right? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like somebody just got reinstated, right? That one, you know, so uh, you always feel good about it. You know, we lost Malik in a tragic, tragic, you know, uh, four wheeler incident. <clears throat> And, you know, was never able to play football again. Rashad, uh, Rashad Penny, you know, had probably the best medical grade we ever had on anybody. And he comes in and gets hurt right away, you know. So and then LJ Collier last year, you know, nobody's even seen him yet. We thought we were going to lose him for the season. He had a, he had a very uh, rough, like kind of NBA-ish high ankle sprain. And so there's these there's these there's these guys that we you know there's 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 still yes i understand you know the malik situation and that you know that's a that's a bummer uh you know for everybody himself included um but you know the other two guys people haven't really truly seen yet so right, right. we're excited about those guys and you know we're excited about a ton of young guys in the team and it's pretty cool to see like you know tyler lockett you know finally getting up there you know we got two receivers in the top 100 players that the players voted on it's excited to see Chris Carson get into that group and so I think there's a, a number of, uh, of 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 young talented guys that were that were excited about here we're excited about this last class too and when, when you when you when you when you sit back and you're and you're you're constantly preaching to your staff about you know what can we do every day to get better and you're adding somebody of Jamal's uh, um, intensity and dog and uh, instincts and you know he's 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 just an incredible incredible football player so uh we just felt like it was it was an opportune time uh we love bradley mcdougall great guy uh, he's a pro day in day out the jets are going to love him uh but you know we we just we just couldn't pass on this and and uh you know that we pride ourselves on um not just the first round but you know three through um, seven, and then how important is rookie free agency? We started a Super Bowl with two uh, rookie free agent wide receivers, you know. So uh, we take a lot of pride in in the whole process, and not just the first round. The first round ends up just being the 
entertainment portion of, of uh, what the draft looks like. Tell me, <clears throat> what exactly is your philosophy, if I can, if I can call it that, that, you know, right away, as you know, a lot of people say, and I quoted anonymously one uh, general manager in the league said, basically, I'd never trade two ones for a safety. Um, but what? tell me about your philosophy without, without being too praiseworthy. Like, how do you get to be unafraid to make, to really step out and to make a major commitment, like trading two ones for a guy who's not a left tackle, who's not a quarterback per se? Well, you have to try to look at the landscape and, and see what, you know, are you going to be able to, I mean, we have Dwayne Brown on our team right now. Do you, you know, do you have a, a future, le- is there is there an avenue for us to have a future left tackle? You know, what does that look like? Um, you know, you know, pass rusher, you know, we, we traded for uh, Jadavian last year. He had a great year for with us and did a really nice job. Um, you know, so you're, you're trying to figure out how you can acquire those guys all the way through. I would say without, um, you know, getting too much into detail, Peter, that, you know, that, that we needed to get faster on our, on our team this year, um, especially on defense. And, and I feel like we've done that. And you look at the National Football League right now, especially our division with all the crossers and the talented tight ends that we have, it's important that with, you know, now, you know, with um, Ugo and Blair and, and uh, Diggs and now Jamal, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a really good group. And, you know, we had Lano Hill who, uh, you know, two years ago was playing from Michigan. who was playing at a very, very high level three games in a row and then had a very serious hip injury and, and, you know, he's, he's, he's had a really nice offseason, so we're looking forward to seeing him as well. But there's, you have to have so much speed in the back end, especially when we're going to be playing against Kyler Murray, you know, George Kittle and, and all, you know, Robert Woods and all, you know, all these guys that seem like they're just running all over the place. you got to have as much speed in the field. And so adding a guy like Jamal who has that versatility to play down the box and play in the hole and play man coverage is really important to us. But in general, just about trades – in general, where did your ethos and your relative fearlessness about them come from? I guess I would have to say just our philosophy of competing every day and not being able to just, you know, sit back and think that you have it figured out and be comfortable and you have all the answers. I mean, we're trying to push the envelope every day. I mean, we're not we're not done. We're, we're going to try to we're going to try to build this team. I mean, you, you've seen it, you know, uh, all the way through, you know, the, the uh, even in the playoffs, what we're doing with practice squad players, moving them up and having them play on special teams for us and, and, and shuffling people around. That's a great thing about, you know, Coach Carroll and his, his staff, as I, as I stated earlier, they're, they're not afraid to uh, uh, put people out there, uh, young people and, um, and talented guys to take a shot and see what we got. I mean, we started out a long time. I know this is going back, but we started out a long time ago where, you know, Byron Maxwell and Richard Sherman were competing out there at corner. And then, you know, we had Marcus Chufon as well. And everybody was like, man, are we going to put Richard Sherman out there? And as talented as Marcus was and, and uh, as high as he got picked in this draft and that, you know, in the draft when he came out, um, all of a sudden we were playing with Richard and Marcus moved inside, you know, so, 
um, taking those chances and knowing that you have a staff that's willing to develop um, and play young people is really, really important right now in this league. I want to touch on two other topics quickly. One is this might seem boring to people, but I think if you guys make it through this season, the practice squad is going to be hugely important. And I want to go back in time because I was talking to Pete Carroll over the weekend about the 1987 uh, NFL season which for those who don't remember, basically teams played two games, players went on strike, and on very, very quickly, within days, teams had to sign teams of replacement players because the NFL was going to keep playing football. So uh, you were, I believe, about 16 or 17 years old at the time. And I'm sure you remember replacement football, but this is the thing that really, really reminds me of replacement football. Not that you're going to be doing that. You're, you know, Russell Wilson, unless he gets sick, is going to play quarterback for you. But it seems to me that you have to be more concerned probably than ever with the quality of your practice squad this year, knowing that, hey, one week, you, you might have two key players, you know, go down or test positive with the COVID virus. And so you're going to have to reach down into your practice squad and guys are going to have to step up and play. So what do you think of the importance of the practice squad this year? And what have you done about the practice squad? Maybe that's a little bit different from a normal year. Well, we always think it's very important every year. You know, we our our staff does a great job with it. Uh, we're you know we're constantly on it, studying other other teams' practice squads as well. But this year in particular, as you stated, I mean we're going to have you know six uh, you know veteran type players that you can have on your practice squad, sixteen total. So I think that's going to give us a, a, a you know I think it's going to be a huge benefit coming into the weekend. You know the early testing and see when, seeing what you know your Thursday looks like before you travel for us before we travel on Fridays we're playing we're playing out east five times this year so we you know we always leave early and uh, so it's going to be very important for us to figure out uh, what our um, you know what that active group is going to look like and you know Pete and I do I think Pete and I do a real good job of uh, communicating that that starting on uh, Sunday night after the game with the medical staffs and then getting together again Monday morning. And working through that all the way through the week, like what does our, what does our, um, what does our world look like? And Brian Schneider as well, our, our uh, coach is very involved with that. No relation, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you bring up an interesting subject. I'll, that if you leave five times for road games on Friday this year. Uh, you're probably assuming that you're gonna you're gonna test, I guess, either Thursday or Friday. Do you know anything about what the testing regimen will be during the week during the season? Yeah, we're still gonna. I think we're we're still gonna be working through some of that. But I mean, I know that it's gonna be extremely important for us to know, you know, what what our team looks like once, especially once you know you're there. Um, I think you know the travel and everything's gonna be so unique this year with the hotels and and meals and I can't tell you uh, how 
how much work has gone into the planning of this and you know again what what the buses are going to look like and what the hotels are going to look like and uh, give me give me an example someday, someday, me something something i think it'd be really important really you know cool for you to have somebody on that that you know from uh from the union and from the league that you know negotiated this deal that that you know um where they can go back and forth talking about you know everything that went into this and and uh Again, it's going to be a process that we're working through, like you, like you said, with Major League Baseball. And, um, you know, we didn't totally bubble it like the NBA, so we'll see how that goes. And um, uh, I know the NHL's in, in, you know, up in Canada. And so that's, that's going to be an interesting study as well. So, but I just think it's a, the, the, the behind the scenes work that's gone into this. And what does a tier one look, person look like in a tier two and a tier three? And you know, that's the administrative part of it that's been, uh, um, you know, challenging for everybody. But like I said, um, you know, the people on our staff, David Strickland and Sam Ramsden and Matt Thomas, those guys have done a great job. And Eric Kennedy, our equipment guy, and, and, and you know, I mean, our head of equipment and, and uh, um, you know, everybody just working together. It's, 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 it's going to be, you know, doing more with less this year. And I think it's, 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 uh, it's challenging and exciting. And I think our, our, our people are totally up for it. So it's going to be fun. Not, not fun, but challenging. Yeah. And, and they're, they're, people are ready for it, I should say. Are you confident that the league can pull this off? Yeah, I am. I, like I said, I think that, you know, the, the, the leadership that we have and, you know, if, you know, that, that, that constant, constant communication that we have to have, uh, it's like we're playing by, and we are not like, we are completely, you know, playing with a different set of rules in terms of, you know, what our rosters look like and when people can be in the building and how many people can be around and, you know, how many massage therapists you can have around or how many, nutri- you know, what is, what, what is, what does your cafeteria look like? And, you know, what does the, the meetings look, what do our meetings look like? Now we're going to do our meetings virtually. I'm not sure, you know, what every team's doing, but you know, the 15 players working out and, you know, the different sets of 15 players working out in a, in a, in, in a strength room, um, in the weight room at a certain time. So, yeah, I think it's it's I'm 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 confident um, we're gonna pull it off. It's just it's just uh, it's just it's gonna be a, a a wild 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 west challenge, you know. <laughs> I feel bad for college football right now as well too. You know, yeah, we're, we're looking at looking at talking to a lot of those guys. I mean, what is what does their world look like? And you know, um, you know, you feel bad for the the the, the players, these young men that they're, are gonna be freshmen. Um, guys that are going to be seniors, um, you know, and then especially the fans. I mean, you look at look at the look at the people who love going to games, you know, in the fall, like going to a college game on Saturday down south or, or anywhere. But you know, you go to a you know you go to a Georgia game and then you go to a Falcon game or something. You know what I mean? Like it's it's going to be a it, it's a it's going to be a bummer for the fans if they're not able to you know get in. Yeah. Um... You know what's been interesting? The draft is so much fun for people. And I've probably answered 20 emails from people saying, I just don't have any idea. I don't know how anybody can have any idea. But if college football is played in the spring in some places, how in the world would you sync that up with the draft? You have any idea? Yeah, I guess you give away your first and your third round pick, and then just <laughs> <laughs> no. 
No, I think it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. I, I think that, again, that's going to be another fun challenge. We had a we had a huge challenge this last year without being, being able to bring people in for physicals and and uh, get as much work done as we could at the combine. And you know, our staff did a great job at the All Star Games, and um, so it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what that window looks like if more teams are playing or if more conferences end up playing in the spring. Uh, but We'll be on it. We'll be studying it. We'll be, you know, doing whatever we can to learn as much as we can about these individuals. Hey, John Schneider, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast this week. Uh, we went about 25 minutes and we could have gone 25 hours. Um, I appreciate you, Peter. And we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't have covered everything. But anyway, thanks yeah. so much. Good luck and uh, hope you can pull it off. Appreciate you. Stay safe. I want to tell you about a couple of things that I really think you should listen to. Chris Sims on his Unbuttoned podcast. You can find it uh, wherever you get your podcasts, or you can also watch it on the NBC Sports YouTube page. But he has a great podcast interview with Kyle Shanahan. Now, for those of you who don't know, Kyle Shanahan and Chris Sims a while ago, whatever, 20 years ago now, I think, uh, were teammates at the University of Texas. Shanahan was uh, kind of a fringe wide receiver, and uh, uh, Chris Sims was the quarterback of the Longhorns at that time. They got to be very good friends, and uh, they remain so to this moment. And uh, very enlightening stuff uh, from Kyle Shanahan. Strongly recommend uh, taking a listen to that. Also, Mike Florio on his PFTPM podcast has some really good stuff this week uh he's gonna have dr alan sills the nfl's medical director and also matt ryan the quarterback of the atlanta falcons you can always count on mike to have good conversations asking the pointed questions that need to be asked particularly in a year like this and now my conversation with tom curran of nbc sports boston Back on the Peter King podcast, happy to be joined by Tom Kern of NBC Sports Boston. And, you know, when I woke up Tuesday morning, I honestly had no intention of reaching out to my friend Tom Curran you know, to join us on the podcast this week. But things sort of happened with the New England Patriots during the day on Tuesday. And so before we get into this with Tom, let me just sort of explain in this new world of the NFL. NFL players have until August 3rd to opt out uh, of playing this season for whatever reason. If they feel that medically uh, they don't want to take the risk, that's fine. If for whatever reason they feel funny about taking the risk, they have some family member, uh, you know, with a, a medical condition, they don't want to risk it. So, so far, as we record this, after four in the afternoon Eastern uh, on Tuesday, uh, 22 players have opted out. Uh, there are rumors of many more, uh, but obviously the New England Patriots have had have had their share. Uh, as we speak right now, three very prominent Patriots, uh, all on defense. Dante Hightower, probably, uh, well, other than Devin McCourty, probably one of their most indispensable players on defense. Uh, the linebacker uh, is gone, Patrick Chung. 
uh, is gone. And I said three on defense. It's not. It's also Marcus Cannon, the versatile offensive lineman. He's also gone among the six who they've lost so far. So I bring in uh, my friend Tom Curran. And Tom, I want you, if you can, just to try to explain to the best of your knowledge what exactly happened and why are the Patriots having an epidemic, no pun intended, uh, of opt-outs as we get close to the August 3rd deadline. Well, thanks for having me, first of all. And two weeks ago, Jonathan Jones, a cornerback, really valuable player for the team. He's going to be here for a long time. Tweeted out, explain to me how you can socially distance in football. You can't. And quickly, that tweet was answered by tweets from Dante Hightower, who said, ain't no way. And then Patrick Chung, who said, they tripping. That, to me, was the first indication something might be happening. I reached out to, to Hightower at that juncture via text and he was a little cryptic and just said, you know, he was just quarantined up and taking care of business. Um, but he was a little cryptic about more things may be happening. Today, I guess that becomes unveiled and obvious to all of us what might be happening. So Hightower opts out, Chung opts out. Each of these guys, Peter, when we ask what's the common denominator, they're over 30 years old. They've all made $30 million to $45 million plus in their careers. They all have three Super Bowl rings. What do they have left to conquer? For Cannon, he's had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma while at TCU. Hightower uh, just became a father. Chung has kids. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Mike Reese reporting that Chung is about to become a father yet again. All these players are going to logistically work through getting their nose swabbed every day. Not only that, Peter, but from what I understand, the Patriots' operation will be you'll sit in your car, you'll have the opportunity once you're called from your car to be summoned to have your temperature taken. After your temperature taken is, you'll go up some stairs. Once you get up the stairs, you'll do the nose swab. When the locker room area is cleared, you'll head into the locker room and you will change. Then you'll have the training room clear and then you'll be taped and then you'll go onto the field. I think for some of these guys specifically, accepting canon you come to a point where you're like i've won super bowls i've made money i'm in my 30s do i want to deal with this in 2020 to have a rebuilding season and go seven and nine eight and eight nine and seven no you know what i'll stay home with my new baby that to me is what we're looking at and i've contacted a couple of the patriots today peter and it's they've kind of you know said yeah that's what we're all looking at so you think the number goes above six? Yeah, I do. I, I think other Patriots players will opt out. You know, the other guys are Danny Vitale, Najee Toran, and Brandon Bolden. I think Brandon Bolden kind of fits in that other group as well. Uh, I believe he had a pre-existing situation that may have made it, um, if not a high-risk opt-out, then an opt-out of that's, that's rooted in some medical concerns. But, Peter, when we talk about these opt-outs, it's not just the pressure on the player. It's the pressure on the player when he goes home to say to his significant other or his wife or his kids, if they're old enough to have been in school, were you careful today? Because that kid who goes to school in Rentham or Walpole or Foxborough and comes home and happens to bring it home, then can give it to Dante Hightower, who can give it to the rest of the team. It's, it's really a hard logistical situation. So you're not just imposing upon the players individually, you're also imposing it on family units. And the Patriots being an older team are going to have a hell of a lot more players who have a larger family unit than younger teams where some guys are single. 
You know what's interesting with the the Miami Marlins situation now with, I believe, uh, 17 players and staff now total have tested positive and they won't be playing baseball for a little while. I find it absolutely amazing that uh, just before we came on here, I saw MLB released, uh, you know, a, uh, a statistical survey of all the rest of their players who they've surveyed, you know, in recent in the recent couple of weeks and they had zero positives that mm-hmm. seems say and hockey is kind of the same way both of that them that seems quite illogical uh good for them really good for them but yeah look at the phillies too i mean the phillies yet yet to have a positive yeah. uh test return so there's two things we can learn from this and and yeah. there's a there's a little bit of an incubation period we all understand that by now all of us have amateur epidemiologists but um uh, it serves to remind us that yes, this is a virus that will strike people and as they show up, they don't even have any symptoms or knowledge that they have it. So some people it's less than flu reaction, but on by the same token, it can spread rapidly with a group. And maybe it doesn't spread that rapidly from team to team, at least in baseball. But if you're in, in, in a place where it can be uh, passed in an indoor area, say a locker room, a bus, a plane, a car coming to work, and one guy or another has it, that's much more, as we can all understand by now, likely to be an incubating place to, to pass it. You know, I I know that this was the case through the spring, but one of the things that teams were thinking about, some teams, uh, and I don't know, I've not followed up on this, but I wonder if you've heard anything about this, Um, traveling day of game instead of traveling the day or two before. Um, I mean, it's impossible for some teams. The Seattle Seahawks have, I think, five either East or Midwestern trips this year. They're not going to be doing that, obviously, much, if at all. But, you know, the Patriots have a bunch of short trips. And I wonder if you've heard anything about the Patriots or any team thinking of traveling day of game. I've just heard resistance from players and could have well come from your Football Morning in America column um, who just dispelled the idea outright out of hand that we could that that could be uh, done. I mean, if you had a one o'clock game, you're not getting up at five in the morning and being sharp for a 10 o'clock report to the to the stadium, even if it's in New York. I mean, the logistics of it are impossible to me, Peter. These 32 teams are about to go into many bubbles, but. As we saw today with the Patriots and the 24 COVID positive tests we had gotten among the 14 teams, and now the, I believe it's 24 um, opt-outs, we're going to have a spate of negative information, news breaking around the NFL from now until about August 10th. Players are going to opt out until August 3rd, and we're going to get players who are reporting who are testing positive. Um, really throughout the next 10 days until all these daily positive tests are weeded out, quarantine, players return. So I think the NFL is going to have to have some resilience, put their earmuffs on, put their blinders on if they really want to try and soldier through. This is going to be a real bleak time that the NFL hasn't had to really negotiate. Everything's great with the draft, free agency, good thing you guys plowed through, round of applause for everybody. You did all your work, but it's going to get really crappy now between this period of time the opt-out period until August 3rd, and all these positive tests that are absolutely inevitable to come back. If we're at 24 with 14 teams, 
certainly we're going to be at around 100, wouldn't we think, Peter? Just, I mean, spitballing for all 32 when it's all done? I mean, I will be, I'll be, I, I cannot believe there would only be 100 positive tests in the NFL. Now, who knows? But I think, I think the big test is not how many positive tests there are. Uh, I mean, most for most teams, today is the day that, uh, you know, I know uh, the Rams, this is their first day. The Lions, this is their first day. So you know, for an awful lot of teams, they're going to have 80 players testing throughout the day today, which is Tuesday. Mm -hmm. So those results will all be back within 24 hours. And if they're all back within 24 hours, clearly uh, we're going to see very soon, you know, how many they have. But that is, and again, so that people know, you have to distinguish each team is testing, uh, you know, not only the 80 players on the team, but they're also testing the 100 employees who are labeled tier one and tier two employees. Those are the employees who have to basically touch the players every day. They're the trainers, the equipment managers, uh, two or three PR people, maybe the, uh, uh, you know, the cafeteria workers, security people for on the field. So, you know, all of those people, 180 per team, have to test negative twice by this Friday uh, in order to be admitted to the team facility and to start this whole process. And then every day for two weeks, there is going to be a test. For and the players need three, if I'm not players. mistaken. Yeah. It's, Play, players will need three uh, negative tests. If oh, three? Is that players right? Need three. Everybody else needs two. Players need three. I, I'm sure our guy Florio got it right. I, he posted that yesterday. Yeah, I that I, I, you know, I thought it was just Tuesday and Friday, but so well, there's another hoop there for the players to to uh, to be yeah. cleared. But honestly, it, you know, I, I don't I don't expect that. What my point at the start of this, Tom, was to say that once we get to teams, you know, testing daily for two weeks, which starts, I guess, on Friday mm -hmm. or Saturday. But once that starts. I don't expect a lot of positive tests to happen because these most of these players at that point are going to be in either team hotels. They won't be in dorms, but they're going to start their training camp regimen. So, and one of the things that I couldn't get answered, and, and you you might know this about the Patriots, are all Patriots players during training camp, do they all stay in a hotel or do they let the veterans go home? Peter, I don't know that. Um, from yeah. what I'm gathering, they are going home, um, right. but I don't know categorically that that's that's the case. Um, yeah. I'm sure the rookies and and undraft, if there are any undrafted left, are, are going to be um, housed in a in a hotel, whether it be one of the residence inns in Foxborough or, or or around there. But you know, it's it is fascinating to to think about that number of tests because yes, the opt out once the opt out comes and goes, August third, there'll probably be still a few guys who say screw this, I'm out of here, August sixth handful tops but you'll have some lag time with these tests you'll also have players who test positive and then get two negative tests you'll also have asymptomatic players peter everything about covid symptoms 
can almost be illustrated or replicated by physical fatigue. Oh, I got chills. Oh, I'm hot as hell. Uh, yeah. My body aches. Um, <laughs> you know, all of these things, obviously, with the exception of a dry cough, is go are going to occur as players tax their bodies. And we've talked as well about the pre-existing conditions, um, the conditions for whether it be sickle cell, the sickle cell trait, sickle cell itself. It strikes African-Americans. It's not even close. It's, it's basically doesn't impact Caucasians. It impacts African-Americans. Um, the comorbidities of, of diabetes or any of these different things that can impact a player, they're all going to have to wrestle with these over the next few days and weeks. And if you're the New England Patriots, don't you think Peter Bill Belichick's going to say, well, we can't hit until August 18th. I'm going to run these guys into the ground to get them physically ready because I didn't have any offseason to make sure they were in shape. Yeah. You know, I, it, it, the other thing I, I really wanted to talk to you about was for some reason, there's something about, and I'm going to exaggerate, I, I don't know why, and you tell me if I'm all wet. I'm not saying that Bill Belichick is happy to lose maybe his most important defensive player, um, but I wonder, is there something about this, about coaching a JV team on defense and, and Brady gone, that he's thinking, man, this is going to be fun? No, I think he's sick to his stomach. Really? Yeah. I really think he's got to be sick to his stomach. Maybe saw it coming, but this team, as you saw in the latter part of 2019, was duct taped and glued together. They right. went four and five down the stretch. They were four and four. They lost to the Miami Dolphins at home in which their defense got overwhelmed. They had already lost Kyle Van Noy and Jamie Collins and a decent bit player in Alandon Roberts. Now they've lost Patrick Chung and Dante Hightower. You've lost a right tackle. You don't have any tackle depth at all. Um, you lost conceivably a fullback who might have been helpful. You're going to have to pop up one of these tight ends to play. You have a new quarterback. And if you want to be in a position, Peter, to say, you know what, Brady was great. We loved him. There'll never be another one like him, but we're going to survive. It's going to be real hard. And I, I, I really, truly believe that, or I wonder how many of these guys would have pushed away from the table if they were Super Bowl contenders. How many of these guys would have pushed away from the table if they had Tom Brady right now? Or do they say, we're going to try and start rolling this rock uphill? The NFL doesn't really know exactly how it's going to operate here. We haven't heard a whole ton of positive feedback from players on the Patriots about their faith in what's going on. Right. And we're going to come back and we're going to have a very unpatriot season. Why not just spend the time, as I said earlier, with my new wife, yeah, a new child, and I, I think that that is Peter. You ever you play a little golf here and there? You ever played golf with a guy who used to shoot in the seventies and now he shoots in the eighties and he can't stand to play? Yeah, of course. I, the Patriots are a team. Yeah, that's used to shooting in the low seventies. For you and me, eighty-five is great. For them, they throw up all over their shoes. They can't even think, bear the thought of it. And I think that that is um, they're not going to live in the middle. They're not going to live in substandard. Um, stuff that they're not used to. Do you want to take the regional train, Peter, up to Boston, or are you going to be on the Acela? <laughs> You're going to be on the Acela. There yeah. used to be Acela. They're not taking the regional train. Yeah. Uh, you know what I'm just curious about? Just, just uh, humor me for a second. Now, uh, just so that I know, more likely than not, 
Devin and Jason McCordy are returning? I all candor, I've I can't can't get a read. I think they're still wrestling with it as we speak. Have not heard otherwise. Um, but you know, good friends with them, I think, professionally. Um, we've had a great relationship. I've worked with them, done television with them over the course of time. Um, but I, I think they're still trying to establish it. To me, I would imagine that Bill Belichick, being who he is, said to these players, look, guys, I understand you might opt out. I need to know as soon as flipping possible. So I can imagine if either of those guys are going to say, thank you, but I can't do it this year, it will, it will happen quickly. And, you know, with all candor, Peter, Devin's kind of dealing with a tragic family situation this yeah. year. He lost a, a baby um, daughter um, prior, prior to birth. And that's got to be hard too. You want to be supportive for your family. And these people put their lives on hold, spouses, um, girlfriends, caretakers for the kids. And it's, those are the things that would weigh on me. If I'm a, if I'm a first contract player trying to establish myself in the league with no family, it's kind of a layup. Right. For some of these established players, it's different. I would agree with you, but there's something about, uh, there's something about Devin McCourty that, uh, I think he, he just reminds me of sort of, I, I don't want to say last man standing, but mm -hmm. I kind of view him as one of these guys who would look at Belichick and said, Bill, don't worry. I'm not going to, I'm not taking off now. I don't, I have no reason to think that whatsoever. Absolute gut feeling. But when I think about him, that's what I think about. And that, that there's a good chance right. that's naive, you know, but no, it's not. One of the great things that Bill Belichick does, Peter, and you've, known him since the the early 80s is he finds players and entrusts them very quickly with a level of leadership and ownership and belief and confidence gerard mayo often tells a story in 2008 he was uh, a first round pick and by 2009 when the team was dealing with some leadership voids after um all the players went elsewhere you know vrabel and harrison and um seymour Belichick sent Gerard Mayo out in his second year as the lone captain for the coin flips, put everything on Mayo. He wow. is in charge. He is our guy. That's our guy. And everyone had to look at him. Why did he do that? Because Gerard Mayo could be a CEO of any company in America yeah. if he decided yeah. that's what he was going to do. Right. McCourty's the same way. And I think that when you foist those responsibilities on a player and say, I believe in you, you build a reciprocal level of, not gratitude, but gratitude. That means I will, I will always be there for you because you help make me who I am that exists. And I think Hightower, when you think about Hightower, he's played for Saban and Belichick since he was 18 years old. Wow. Don't think at this point he's like saying, yeah, that, that's amazing. That's I got to get a break from these guys. <laughs> that's amazing. That really is interesting. Uh, anyway, now, you know what I really was interested in doing, Tom, just so that people, let's just say for the sake of argument, that there are no more bombshells. Mm -hmm. Let's say that the McCordys come back. You know, Jason McCordy starts at a corner. Devin McCordy starts at safety. I want to go through the rest of this defense now. 
a defense that has also lost Duran Harmon, who played 65% of the snaps last year. Obviously, Patrick Chung, also 65% of the snaps. They've lost Danny Shelton, who played half the snaps uh, as a run stopper. Um, now Dante Hightower gone. And, you know, to me, the, the, you know, the guy who, in my opinion, you know, and I voted him all pro last year, um, it was Kyle Van Noy. Yep. 81% of the snaps, hugely important. But what I want to do is I want to talk about what's going to happen on this defense right. now. Okay. So my feeling coming into the draft and the Patriots had a couple of guys higher than a lot of teams in the league did. They drafted two, two linebackers. Okay. Josh Uche from Michigan and Anthony Jennings from Alabama. And Anthony Jennings showed flashes under Nick Saban of being a really good two-way player, you know, playing well against the run and also uh, could rush the passer. So I look at those two guys. I look at Chase Winovich coming back from last year. And, you know, and then you look at the safety position. Look, they drafted Kyle Duggar, you know, the small college guy, uh, and but a hidden gem. And I remember, because I can tell you how much Anthony Lynn liked Adrian Phillips with the mm -hmm. Chargers. Unrestricted free agent safety. He came to the Patriots, bargain basement guy. So I've just thrown a name salad yep. at you with a bunch of these guys. I want you to tell me, for people watching the Patriots' defense this year, what gives you any hope that they can be top 15 or 20? Uh, that they still have the best cornerback in football in Stephon Gilmore and that they have the best secondary in football, even without Chung, who Bill Belichick says is one of the best players, period, in football. Adrian Phillips can be that pseudo-box safety that Chung was. He can cover your tight ends a little bit. Not like Chung, maybe, but he can do that. McCourty's still the center fielder. Stephon Gilmore over here, Jason McCourty over here. You have J.C. Jackson and Jonathan Jones, who are two excellent young corners. J.C. Jackson might be in the league for a long time and making dough. They also have two of the most underrated defensive linemen in the league in Lawrence Guy and Adam Butler. Butler was kind of a force last year. So they get interior pass rush. They don't get crap out of the edges. And I am curious to see if Winovich can do much if he turns into an every down guy, because he's got kind of a brusky body. He's a Gumby. He can get around people down and around, but he is there. Don't you think he ends up playing a little more than, than say it, it, right now, the nominal starter opposite Lawrence guy would be John Simon, right? John yeah. Simon is a lock. John Simon is one of their most athletic players. I, I wonder if Winovich can be more than a third down guy. Yeah. So that's my question. Can he be, can he hold up and hold the edge? Right. if someone's coming at him, because he's not that massive. But Jawan Bentley in the middle is your entire keystone because his presence was going to allow Hightower to be the edge presence. Now that Hightower is gone, Bentley has to be the brain back there at the second level and make sure that the two ends are talking and the front understands what the back is doing. And then whatever you get from Jennings and um, Uche is – I hate to say it, it's going to kind of be a bonus because how many rookie linebackers, aside from Mayo, who was the NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year, and maybe Brandon Spikes, you need that big brain in the middle of the Patriots' defense yeah. 
to just run the controls and say, you're fine doing what you're doing. I'll cover your ass. I think they're going to, they're going to have, I, I don't know. I think especially because you've, you've, you know, you're asking a lot of Bentley. He's what is he third year, right? Third year, fifth round pick out of Purdue. He can hit. He's a bigger guy, not real fast, but an okay two way guy, as you were mentioning. And, and, and tell me, tell me about, tell me about Kyle Duggar. And what do you expect to happen with him? What's cool about him is, you know, you look at him, you're like, okay, Bill, with another second-round pick of a safety, and this guy's from Lemoyne, and he's 24 years old. But why is he different than second-round pick Tavon Wilson and second-round pick um, Cyrus Jones, all these other safeties? The difference is those guys came from bigger programs, and they didn't really test great. And Bill fell in love with Jordan Richards, another guy. Um but they were smarter or they fit a niche with Duggar. It's the measurables that are off the charts and he is intelligent and, and able to get it. He just hasn't played at the same level that bill usually gets really over the moon about sec, big 10, whatever. So they've said, okay, you know what? We're, we're going for the athlete. We're going for a secondary type of Jamie Collins here, Southern miss 0 13 in the year before he was drafted uh, from Southern miss. He came in and, Turn himself into a real good player. I think the Kyle Duggar can be along the same lines. Yeah, he's going to screw up. Some stuff's going to be thrown at him that he didn't see at Lemoyne. But the upside of it is he's a ridiculous athlete. So that, that I think, is the aim of what they're trying to do there that they haven't done in the past. But they have been screaming out for a Patrick Chung apprentice for years and hadn't really been able to come up with it. All right, we're going to finish this off by playing a lightning round of five questions, all right? Um, the key to this lightning round is that you were allowed to answer every one of these questions in only one sentence. Oh, oh. Are you ready? Uh-huh. Where among the top 20 ranked quarterbacks in the NFL in 2020 in passer rating, what number will Tom Brady be? Tom Brady will be fourth, 103.9. That's two sentences. What percentage chance is there that Cam Newton is the starting quarterback opening day for the Patriots and why? 92% because talent will win out. And when you, and these are commas, and when you look at, what he has seen in the NFL in contrast to what Jared Stidham has seen with the Patriots, NFL wins out over experience with the Patriots. Why does Steven Gostowski not have a job in the NFL right now? Costs too much money and people got to check out that hip of his. He'll be working soon. Percentage chance that the NFL plays 256 regular season games and 13 play games culminating in the Super Bowl, whenever that is. 46% chance. The reason there will be hot spots which don't rectify themselves in the next 45 days, but there will be much better news in the middle of August trending into September as the hot spots cool. Final New England Patriots record in 2020. Eight and eight. No playoffs? No. 
Tom Curran, you are off the griddle. I really appreciate it. Thank you for playing my silly reindeer games at Love the it. end of this. Love it, buddy. And uh, good luck covering the NFL from your living room this year. You know what? I'm going up to Gillette in about an hour. I'm going to be standing on the perch making – even if I'm making pretend, I am covering – we're pretending it's happening <laughs> until they tell us otherwise. So take care of yourself. My thanks to John Schneider, Tom Curran. Really interesting discussion with both, and I appreciate their time when everybody is far too busy for late July. Thanks so much for joining me this week. I just might have the MVP of the National Football League on this podcast next week. So please stay tuned, come back, and listen to this podcast this week and every week as we begin to navigate a very strange time in NFL history.